gather uh, together. I really enjoyed coming into the uh, um, church this morning. I saw a whole bunch of blue in the sky. I didn't recognize what it was. Uh, I haven't seen it for such, such a long time, but uh, it was nice seeing the frost cover everything. It just was absolutely beautiful uh, to really behold. Um, I'm going to sit down. My, my ankle's still a bit weak, so I hope you don't mind. I'll try not to be too bland while I sit, but uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, anyways, uh, so thankful again to, uh, to be here. and So thankful. I, I hope you've really enjoyed going through the sermon of uh, Stephen. I've really enjoyed it. You know, it's incredible because he's brought up on charges of speaking against the law and speaking against the uh, temple. You know, and as he begins to, to unfold, he really doesn't, uh, he re- really doesn't um, uh, come and uh, try and defend himself, but he really shows the guilt of the religious leaders. And he shows the guilt of the religious leaders by showing that they're making the same mistake over and over. Just as their forefathers uh, did, they are doing the same thing. And he brings out Joseph and his brothers, and we realize Joseph is the anointed one. He's the chosen one of God. And yet his brothers, even though this revelation has been given by Joseph, come against him, stand against him, sell him into slavery. And last time we were together, we looked at Moses, and we realized Moses is a young man realized the calling of God that happened to be in his life, that he was the chosen one. He was the leader. He was the one that was chosen to redeem Israel, but he was rejected, wasn't he? And what that led to was 40 years of obscurity in the desert and 40 years of suffering that happened to begin of, uh, in, in Israel. And then God suddenly appears to him at this burning bush that is not burning. You know, his presence is there. He gives Moses, that new commission to go back into Egypt for a specific message to uh, Pharaoh to let the people go. And Moses comes back as a changed man. And I really love that because I, I think that's so instructive for us, isn't it? You know, we realize 40 years have gone by. I mean, some of you are not even 40 years old, but, th- but, th- but th- think of it if, if, if you are. How much has changed in your life? How much has gone on in your life in the last 40 years? It is an incredible time period. You know, and these people suffer. And the reason why it's so instructional, again, that having to be there, is Moses comes back, get this, as a changed man, doesn't he? You know, and I think a lot of times, especially with chronic suffering in our life, you know, that suffering every day, every hour, whether it happens to be spiritual, whether it happens to be physical, whether it happens to be, again, relational, we just go through it one day after another day after another day. And it can be so discouraging, thinking that beyond a shadow of a doubt, There is no reason for the suffering that happens to be in our life. But these historical narratives are given that we might realize uh, during these simple uh, sufferings that come in our life, you know, these, these chronic sufferings day after day after day, week after week after week, month after month, God is working through those things. In fact, again, when you look at Moses and what would be done through Moses, no one ever expected that God would truly work through Moses the way he worked through him. But the other message, in fact, the main message is uh, basically, don't, don't be like the Israelites. Don't be like the forefathers. Don't, again, reject this great God that happens to be again above. You know, and last time we, we saw that in Acts chapter 7 and verse number 35, we ended off there. It says, this Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him 
in a bush. Now notice again who comes back. The one who comes back is Moses. You know, after 40 years, guess what? He's forgotten. No one knows again who he is, but he's sent back. You know, and I think that's, again, so instructional because so often we look at the people that have in the beginning of the Old Testament and we think that they're so different than us. And the message that happens to be again of Scripture is they're just like us. And they're just like, here it is, the Sanhedrin. What does God do? They reject Jesus, reject Jesus, and reject Jesus. And what does God do? He sends again another messenger back to proclaim the same, this same message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, 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 and it's absolutely amazing because it says right there in that text, whom they rejected. You know, and when you look at that rejection, that is so amazing. Because it really speaks of our life. If we're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we realize the truth of that. We realize in certain times in our life we've scorned, we've rejected, we have trampled underfoot the worth of this great God. But what does he do? He sends somebody else to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what that should do is humble our hearts, shouldn't it? What it should do is humble the Sanhedrin's heart. Look at this great God. Look at his grace that happens to begin in our lives. You know, and I really want us to look at that grace because I think often we get so discouraged in life. Let me ask you this morning, are you discouraged? You know, do you feel trampled down? Do you feel again that the world has just imploded on you? Do you feel like even crying up and looking up and you know it's going to be irreverent, but you just feel like it. You feel like putting your hands in the air and say, God, what are you doing? Do you feel like that? Has the world really come in and imploded on you? I really want us to look at verse number 36 this morning. And I want us again to look at this great God who is involved in all of our lives and all of the travail and all of the trials and all of the difficulties that happen to begin in us. And I want us to be reminded of this because so often when life implodes on us, we take our eyes off the one person we need to put our eyes on. And that's Jesus Christ, isn't it? To recognize who he is and what he has done in our life. And look at what verse number 36 uh, says, says here. It says, this man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, one of the things that we have to guard ourselves against, and it's so easy to do, and that is to normalize that which is not normal. You know, to normalize that which is absolutely extraordinary, that which creates awe that happened to begin in our hearts. And what we're talking about is, again, is this great redemption and the God that happens to be of our redemption. And don't we do that? I, I mean, we're around these truths every single week. I mean, we just sang those songs, right? How great our God. You know, and, and if you look at the lyrics that happen to begin of that uh, song, or even, even as a deer pants for the water brook, you know, realizing and panting after this God because, again, who he is. And we sing these songs. And so often we're somewhere else as we're singing them because we, we've been around these truths so long that we lose that wonder that awe of this great God loving me. You know, I can remember we, when we went to, on vacation last year, we went to Mexico. And one of the things I really enjoyed about Mexico was waking up at five o'clock in the morning. Now, that might seem strange. I woke up at five o'clock in the morning, everybody's in bed. You know, I get out, it's still dark out. You know, they have a, uh, a lit path that, that, that leads up. And there's one little 
coffee shop that happens to be open. And I'd get my coffee, you know, I'd talk to the guys for a few minutes, and then I would go down and I would read scripture down by the water or down by the pool. And at six o'clock, just a little bit before six o'clock, over the um, Gulf of Mexico, I, I've seen it on the other side as far as the sunset. I've never seen the sunrise before. But all of a sudden, the sun started rising. You know, and what it was was just spectacular. It just, it just caused me, you know, to put, put my feet in the water and just praise God. Look at the God who made this. Look at how stunning. Look at how big he happens to be. Now think about it, because it, it was a worship moment, wasn't it? It was based upon the knowledge that God had made this moment. God had made this sunrise. But think about it, because I did, I did, did it every day that I was there. But think about it. If you are there for a thousand days, and you do it a thousand days, on, on, on the thousandth day, do you still have that wonder? Do you still have that awe? You see, this is the thing about our, our sin nature. The thing that should cause us are the person that should cause awe in our life because we are sinners. Many times becomes normalized. You know, you, you know there was a few people who, who, who went, to the, went to the beach and watched it. You know, and I would look at the workers, and the workers were basically doing you know, the things that, that they're doing, but none of them raised their heads. None of them have said, wow, look at the stunning sight. Look at the beauty. Look at the colors. None of them saw that. And the reason why I bring that up is because I think we do that with the gospel. I think we do it with the God of the gospel. Isn't it true? You know, when we came to Christ at different times in our life, we're just amazed at who he is and his grace that has been shown in our lives. And I wonder, as you look at your life, here's the question. Have you lost that awe? Have you lost that wonder that this big, grand, glorious God would choose you, sinful you, to be one of his children, that he would send Jesus Christ to die for us? You know, that in all of our adversity, in all of our trials in life, that's what we forget. Isn't it true? Our trials, our difficulties become big. They become awesome. And all of a sudden, God, what are you doing? You know, is there any control of any of these events that happen in the beginning of life? You know, so think of this text. Because I find this historical incident, again, of Moses and Moses' life absolutely unique. Because even as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, he enters Egypt, here it is, as a changed man. And may I say this, in many ways, when you look at his physical appearance, he looks, again, weaker. He looks worse, doesn't he? You know, he comes back as what? He comes back as a shepherd and a nomad. You know, he does it, all those garbs of royalty, all those garbs, again, of greatness, they're all gone. And when you look at Moses, he comes back, you know, in, the, in verse number 36 uh, um, uh, starts this way. This man led them out. This was the instrument that God was going to use. But when you look at it, there is absolutely nothing impressive about Moses. You know, he's very normal. He, again, even as I said, would have been forgotten those 40 years. He doesn't even speak to Pharaoh. His brother speaks to Pharaoh. You know, and the only, only thing of value that, that he carries is, is a common staff. There's nothing impressive about him. But have you ever thought about the life of Jesus? Have you ever thought about the physical appearance of Jesus? 
You know, here, here's the thing, because you see pictures, you see drawings, you see all these reliefs of uh, Jesus, and you always have this bold, you know, Jesus, you know, this brave Jesus. He, he almost like happens to be a King Saul in the Old Testament, a head and shoulders above everyone else. You know, and he looks so bold and he looks so brave. But here's the thing about the physical appearance of Jesus. There was nothing, absolutely nothing of Jesus in his physical appearance that would ever make you be drawn to him. In fact, Isaiah uh, chapter 53 and verse number 2 says this, For he grew up uh, before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. Now listen to what he says. He had no former majesty that we should look at him. And listen to what it says. And no beauty that we should desire him. Wow. What an amazing text when you think how in love we are with appearances today. And everything's about the external that happened to be right here. Here, 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 here's the thing about Jesus. Here's the thing about Moses. There was nothing in their physical appearance that would speak of strength. And yet, it's so interesting to meditate upon this verse because it says this man led them out, and it says this, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. So, you know, as he comes into Egypt and he comes before Pharaoh, his message is very simple. It's not hard to understand. And his message is basically this. Let the people go. Easy enough, isn't it? Why listen to them? You know, and it's amazing even when you listen to the gospel. The gospel is basically this. Your sin has offended a holy God. And you need to recognize your sin and recognize that Jesus Christ came to pay that penalty and put your full trust in him. It is not a difficult message, isn't it? And here's the thing you have to realize beyond a shadow of a doubt. The reason why Pharaoh should listen to Moses, the reason why we should listen to Jesus is because of this, who they represented, right? Moses represents the only high and true God of heaven. There is no other. When you look at Jesus, Jesus represented his father, you have that over and over. I've come to do the will of the Father. I've come to do the will of the Father. My delight is to do his will. And that's what Jesus did. You know, in his humanness, he's pointing to the Father, to trust in him, to trust in the provision that he's going to provide through the Son. And it's incredible. And so how does Pharaoh know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Moses is truly the mouthpiece of God. And it tells us in the text, right? Signs and wonders. Now, think of the signs and wonders. Because I think when you look at it, if you've ever read through that passage of Scripture, you say, these, this is odd. <laughs> Isn't it? You know, these, these are not the signs and wonders we might have chosen to try and convince people that there's one true God of heaven. I mean, what's this dust and this gnats? You know, that's not that great. Well, what's this idea of the multiplication of frogs? What a weird um, uh, a sign. Well, what a weird wonder, right? And there's 10 plagues, right? One after another, after another, after another. And what you have to realize about all of these 10 plagues, that all these 10 plagues had a reason. And that is, here it is, to decimate the polytheistic system or the many God and goddess system of the Egyptians. To show them that they are nothing, but there is one true God that happens to be again above. 
And so every plague is directed towards that. Let me just give you a few examples. Uh, the god of the um, Nile is called Hapi. And when you look at the god again of Hapi, he blessed the people, didn't he? There was all these tributaries, there was all these inlets that, 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 that they made that would water the crops. Uh, they fished in it, they washed in it, they had life. And, and, that, and the Nile was known as the life of Egypt. But what, what, does, what does Moses do? He touches his staff and what happens? It all turns to blood. And it's absolutely useless. The fish die, you can't wash in it. There's a smell that comes out, out and there's no way to do it. And here's the question, where's happy? Where's this God that happens to be the God of Egypt that's blessing the favored nation? And here's the message. There is no God. He's absolutely powerless because why? Because there is no God. How about the multiplication of frogs? Talk about a strange um, uh, what sign and wonder and plague that happened to be again there. Well, this is the goddess, Heket. And if you've ever uh, seen some e, um, ancient Egyptians' uh, drawings, many times you'll see, again, a woman's body with a frog's head. You know, and they actually had a goddess, a frog goddess. You know, it was a goddess, again, of fertility, which meant, again, if Heket blessed the nation, then their women were going to be, um, uh, were going to produce many babies. You know, if Heket blessed them, then they would have great crops, right? Was the god of fertility. And during the uh, springtime, the rains would come, the seasonal rains would come, and there would be these pools that, that would form uh, throughout Egypt. And what you would hear is, ribbit, ribbit, ribbit. You know, I got one laugh. Thank you so much. Uh, and, and you would hear these, these frogs, and, and it spoke of, Heket is here. Heket is visiting the, the, the nation. Heket is blessing us. So much so that they made a law. And guess what the law was? You shall not kill a frog. Why? Because it was a sign of the blessing of Heket. Well, everywhere Israel went, frogs were under their feet. You know, I'm done with it. I'm going to go in bed. And what would you find in bed? Frogs were in your bed. And it became a curse. Now, Pharaoh's magicians multiplied frogs, but this is one thing they couldn't do. They could not take away the curse. Only God could. And here's the question. Where's Heket? Where's this one, this goddess who has blessed the nation of Egypt? And here it is. She doesn't exist. Right? God, man is taking creation, right, and form these gods out of his own image. Uh, um, let me just give you a couple more. One happens to be Newt, which happens to be the goddess of the skies, right? right? The rains would come down. Who caused the rains? Newt. But what comes out of the sky? Hail. In the form of what? Fire. And decimates their crops, right? right? Here's this goddess. And she's for the nation. Where is she? How could this take place? And here's the, here, here's the answer, because there's no nut. There's no goddess. Right? Ra. Who was Ra? Ra was the greatest god of all Egypt, the most worshipped outside of Pharaoh himself. He was the sun god. Right? He 
bared down, his rays would come upon the nation, heat the nation, he would give them light, he would give them life, and there was no one greater than Ra. Three days, total darkness. Where's Ra? Well, Ra's not there, guess why? Because there is no Ra. There's only one God who controls light and darkness, and it's the Jehovah God. It's the God of Israel. Now think about it, because all these are coming, all of these plagues, God is systematically showing that he is God alone. You know, there's none beside him. And then we have the last plague, and the last plague, again, is absolutely interesting, because it's, it also comes with the Passover, doesn't it? And it's the firstborn of everyone, every livestock, every, every family that happens to be, again, in the nation. And it comes with the Passover, and the Passover is unique because, unique because it, 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 it's a picture, right? It's an illustration of what God is going to do in the future in sending the, only, uh, the one true Passover lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is where it's inaugurated. This is the first Passover. They, they, um, they, they uh, kill that little lamb. They, uh, take, they, they eat it. They take the blood. They put it again on the doorpost. And the death angel passes over. But there is great wailing all the way through Egypt. And this great wailing even enters, get this, into Pharaoh's household. Now, why is that so significant? Because Pharaoh was, here it is, the offspring of Ra. And Pharaoh's son was the offspring of Ra. And there's death. And Pharaoh finally relents and lets the people go. So Moses leads, right? right? Moses is what? The ruler and deliverer, the ruler and redeemer. He leads the people again of Israel out. Now think about it. Well, where's he going? And he's going to the, begins with a P, the promised land. That's what we would think. But he leads them to this barren, isolated place, right? And when they got there, there's mountains that happen to begin on this side, and they're cragged. In other words, you can't climb them. They're jagged, they're sharp, and everything else like this. There is the Red Sea that happens to begin right here. And there's an open plain there. You know, and as they come, they come right to this place. And all of a sudden, you know, as you look in the distance on this plain, this dirt plain that happened to be right here, you see, you see all the dust going up. You know, and it becomes a little parent, a little, uh, little, little more in view. You can all, all of a sudden make out. And it's the war machine of Egypt. It's the chariots. Now, now think about it, because a lot of times we see chariots, you know, we see a little horse, you know, prancing along and things like this. This was a, an absolutely fearful war machine. In fact, uh, I guess the, um, the modern equivalent would be, again, if there was a whole bunch of tanks coming towards us. Because when you looked at it, these, um, uh, these uh, chariots would be charging and it would be two options if, you, if you're by foot to let the horse run over you and be trampled to death or either that or jump, to jump aside. The only problem with jumping aside is coming out of the wheels were these protrusions and they were metal and they were razor sharp and they stuck out. And what they were meant to do was basically cut off your limbs. You know, and those are the two, those, those are the two options. And so when you look at it, they're hemmed in, right? Right, they get the mountains, They've, got the, uh, they, they, they've uh, got the Red Sea that happened to be right here in an open plain. 
And here comes this war machine. Now here's the question. You've just seen all the signs and wonders. All of these plagues. You've seen that, that all these fearful gods of Egypt are nothing. What do you do? What do you do? Do you say this? You know what? There's only one true God. You know, when you look at Moses, yeah, 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 we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this one is the ruler, this one is the deliverer. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God would have said after 400 years that he is going to lead us to the promised land. We're going to trust in him. Is that what you would do? You know, is that the attitude that you would have? You know, because that's, that's the question for all of us, isn't it? You know, how would we respond if we were there, if this feared war machine came towards us? Because we have to remember, we're synonymous. Israel is synonymous with the unbelieving heart. Or Israel is synonymous with the sinful heart that so often takes our eyes off this glorious and grand God that happens to be above. Because listen to what happens. This is in Exodus chapter 14. You know, in Exodus chapter 14, beginning at verse number 10, it says, And when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. You know, you can imagine. What were they crying out to the Lord about? Right? What were they crying out to the Lord about? The Lord, save us. Lord, you're great. Lord, you're majestic. We trust in you. No! Because listen, they can see Moses. And listen to what they said. They said to Moses, is it because there's no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians and die in the wilderness. How could you? How could you lead, lead us here? Yeah. Let's take a poll. Who voted for Moses? Who, who voted for him? You know, I can remember when he first came, I said, <laughs> they increased the burden. Let's get this guy out of here. I didn't vote for him. Who voted for Moses? Why has he put us in this place? We were perfectly fine. You know, and there's no way that we could see, or they could see, that God would give them the necessary grace to get out of it. Now, now, there's many applications that we could make this, and the main application, and we'll really, again, hammer that home next week, is to Stephen's audience, isn't it? And, and, and it's basically this. It doesn't matter what God does, right? right? When, you, when you're stiff-necked, when you're hard-hearted, when you say this, I'm not going to believe, I'm not going to believe, I'm not going to believe, I'm not going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I want the things of the world. I want the things of the world. I don't care about the eternal destiny of soul. I don't care what God has said. I am going to go in my own direction. When you're that Harden in your soul. It does not matter what God will do. Isn't that true? I mean, you look at what Jesus Christ did when he came. All of these signs and wonders that spoke that he was from God. I mean, he stilled storms. He healed diseases. He cast out demons. He walked on water. 
He made whole crippled legs. He gave sight to the blind. He even raised the dead. And then he rose from the grave. Right? He ain't the Messiah. He ain't the chosen one. And they despise the very anointed one of God. And, and here's the amazing thing, because people think that they're different. Think of it, because if he asked all of the Sanhedrin, do you believe that, that Moses performed these signs, they would say this, yes, he performed these signs and wonders. Yes, he was God's called. And then we get over to Jesus, and there's even more spectacular signs that are done to Jesus. Do you believe Jesus is the Christ? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Right? And, and here's the thing, because people often say, say that, well, you know, it's amazing what happens to me again in the Word of God. If, uh, if God would do things like that today, if I could see a blind man all of a sudden given sight, if I could see a lame man with his shriveled up legs all of a sudden made whole, I would believe, I would repent of my sin and sins, I would trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you think, what makes you think that you would do that? You know, because here's the thing, there's, there's wonderful evidence of the truthfulness of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you just look at the scripture and see this beautiful symmetry all the way through from Genesis to the end of uh, the book of Revelation, it's absolutely amazing. When you look at the historicity of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, it's irrefutable. So what makes you think, if you won't humble your heart and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that somehow, again, if God would just do more, we just sense in more signs that I, w- I would believe on him. This is the message. This is the message. This is the message. Don't harden your hearts. Trust in him. But there's a message for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ because th- think about it. Think of the suffering you're going through. Think of the adversity that you're going through. And it could be many things. It could be, again, all of a sudden you went to the doctors and the doctors gave you that that um, uh, checkup, and there's a fear. I never chose to go through this trial. It could be, again, relational. There's this relationship, and I thought it was going to be close. I hoped it was going to be close. I worked at it again to be close and meaningful, but all of a sudden, it is dire. You know, and here's the thing. We don't choose the events that happen to be in our life. We don't choose the suffering. The same as Israel. They didn't choose to go to this barren place where there was no escape whatsoever. And so often, again, we look at our lives and we put in this situation. And what did God do for the Israelites? Boom, 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 boom. We can go ten times, right? Do, do, do. I'm God. I'm God. I'm God. I'm the one who took you out of Egypt. Now think about it. Because here I'm going. I'm going through this trial. I'm going through this trial. I'm going through this trial. I'm trying to find hope. I'm trying to find hope. I'm trying to find hope. What has God done in your life to prove beyond a shadow of doubt he's for you and will never be against you? Right? What's he done? And Romans chapter 8 and verse number 32 tells us wonderfully, doesn't it? It says, he who did not spare his own son. But what did he do? But gave him up for us all. And here's the promise. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? promise here, here, if he's done this and he's called us by his grace, how will he not give us everything that is necessary to do his will and follow him and endure? How will he not give us the grace 
to go through whatever he has called us to go through and magnify and glorify him. That's the message. You see, trials and suffering and disappointments, and I'm not trying to um, undermine the pain that they cause many times that happen to begin in our life, but they're not a sign that God's not involved in our life, right? They are given to us as a precious gift that we might see the, our own unbelief, to my, to, that we might realize that so often we're drifting and, we're, and in our disappointments, we've forgotten the spectacular awe of a God like this who would call us to himself. You know, and, 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 and it's amazing, isn't it? Because we realize that this is what this God has done. You know, he sent Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes and he dies and then he conquers death, which tells me beyond a shadow of a doubt, my justification is absolutely secure. And then he comes into my life and here I am in darkness. Here I want nothing to do with him. And he shines that magnificent light into my dark heart so much so that I believe him. You know, and he's brought me through, I, I don't know, years and decades, through all of, the, all of the trials, all of the adversity, all of the suffering, and he's been found faithful in my life. And he's promised me this, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that no one will ever snatch me out of my Savior's hand. You know, do we believe those truths? Because Moses is a great deliverer. Moses is the called one to bring the people to the promised land. Trust in me. Trust me. It looks so lost, Lord. I can't, see, I can't see any way that you would ever bring out good, that you would ever bring out your glory, that you would ever even create a change heart that happened to begin in me. Right? Moses does something simple. Do you remember what he does? Takes his staff and what does he do? Right in the water. What happens? I mean, I mean, think of the massiveness and the power that all of a sudden these walls of water go there. I often picture myself going through those waters. Have you? How fearful it would have been. How awe-inspired it would have been. And I, and I wouldn't have been fearful of the water. I would have been fearful of the God who's holding them up because God's so much more powerful. You know, when you walk through and you even look at the ground that happens to be again below you, and it's dry. And think of it, because this is not just a ragtag bunch of people. This is about three million people walking through the Red Sea to the other side. And then you get to the other side, and everybody stays there on the other side of the Red Sea. And then all of a sudden, you know, that pillar of fire all of a sudden is removed, and here comes Pharaoh, and here comes the army. Here comes the dreaded chariots. Are you still fearing the dreaded Chariots, because on that dry ground, they're stuck in the mud now. And all of a sudden, these walls come tumbling down. And in an instant, the most powerful army on the face of the earth is no more. Now, here's the question. In all of your trials, in all of your difficulties, who's to be feared? in all of these things, and we're so in awe of everything happening, we're so fretting, who's to be in awe of? Because right after that, Israel praises the Lord. It happens to be again recorded in Exodus chapter 15. And beginning at verse number four, it says this, uh, Pharaoh's, uh, Pharaoh's chariots, and this is a song. You know, you, know, you know, if you look in your Bible, it's indented. Otherwise, they're praising God. 
This is a song that's being sung to him. It says, Ferret's chariots and his hosts he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk into the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversities. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters pile up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw the sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew them with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the waters. And listen to verse number 11. And think of this. In all your verses, who is like you? Oh, Lord, what? Among the gods. Who is like you? Here it is. Majestic in holiness. Awesome. Right? See that word? Awesome in glorious deeds. Doing wonders. Who's like God? I'm fretting about this. I'm fretting about that person. I'm worried about this. Who? is like God. And here's the answer. Right? It's a rhetorical one, isn't it? No one. Absolutely no one. They had an awe of God, but that awe of God would be short-lived until the next trial came in their life. But how about you? Where are you struggling today? You know, where are you even doubting God? Where's God bringing out, even in his sovereignty, your lack of trust, your lack of faith that happens to be in him? Because let me tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, this word, through illumination of the Spirit of God, creates that awe that happens to be in, in, in each one of us. You know, it allows us to see the awe of the glory of the God-man who came to purchase our redemption. And know this about Christ. He was faithful, he is faithful, and he will Always be faithful. Behold our God. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. God, as we think of this text, as we think of the Israelites in the wilderness, Lord, we realize this is a picture, really, of unredeemed men who obstinately digs in their heels rather than repents. But Lord, we also realize that this is a picture of your people who so often, Lord, like the Israelites, when they see difficulties, when they see trials, when they see adversity, when they see opposition from others, many times take our eyes off off you and your glory and your grandness. Many times we lose our awe. Many times we lose that wonder of who you are and how you could call a sinner like us to your salvation. I just pray, even as we go to the table, Lord, this morning, that we be reminded of this great redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you so much. Just be with us now, Lord. We thank you so much in Christ's name. Amen.